Well, somewhat out of the blue, Dante Moore took a visit to UCLA. Should we be concerned about that? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you. Five-star views on Apple Podcasts. Those work as well wherever you listen to or watch this show. If you like it, please let me know. Appreciate that. If you don't like it, let me know as well. Maybe I can be better at something. We can always try to be better. As uh, Peter Parker, played by Tobey Maguire, said to Doc Ock in Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't know if you're a Spider-Man fan, John Garcia Jr., our recruiting insider here at the Locked On Network, but I really do like that mantra. He says, Peter, my boy, how are you? And he just looks at him, turns his head, Trying to be better. And that's what Oregon football is. Trying to be better. Yeah, shout out to Tobey Maguire. That's my childhood Spider-Man. So I know there's a lot of Same. debating going on. Um, mm-hmm. I like Tom Holland, but I, I think Toby, Toby's the OG for a reason. No disrespect to Andrew Garfield, of course. Correct. And I came to appreciate Garfield more after No Way Home than in his right. Amazing Spider-Man movies. And I, I, I too, would go Maguire 1, Holland 2, and, and Garfield 3, but they all bring something different to the character. Seeing them together was uh, great. Oregon fans would like to see Dante Moore paired with, I don't know, a wide assortment of weapons in, in the coming years in Eugene as we transition from our Spider-Man podcast to uh, an Oregon Ducks podcast, which is, I think, why people are tuning in primarily. John, he was down at UCLA. Where, where where did that how did that come about like what 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 happened i hadn't heard ucla at any point in time as it pertained to dante Moore. what's going on here yeah dante was never uh on board with ucla there was never any buzz whether you go back to his early recruitment you go back to his pre-oregon commitment uh version of his recruitment or the uh-oh kenny dillingham's gone who else is going to jump in version of, of the recruitment more recently? Of course, all that buzz was more geared towards Michigan State, which had already dropped their quarterback in pursuit of Dante. Michigan, which is still without a true quarterback in this recruiting class. And at one point, Ohio State, which just satisfied its quarterback need. It was really more regional for Dante uh, and more kind of linear in, in that thinking. So, yeah, I think UCLA was a bit out of left field, but then you start to unpack it a little bit and you understand it to a degree. Of course, Dillingham was 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 the key guy, right? That's the reason uh, initially why Oregon was able to surge up Dante's re- recruiting board so quickly against AM and LSU and Miami and Florida and Notre Dame and Ohio State, all these other schools. He was a, a very primary reason for that. So naturally, when he moves on, things are going to change uh, to a degree. Now, the updated staff at Oregon has since rebuttaled. Uh, Will Stein has been out to see Dante. Dan Lanning has been out to see Dante. There has been premium communication between both parties, as we reported last week, to where Oregon is going to have the ball in its court throughout this recruiting, uh, the end of the recruiting cycle. So that part has come true, as we reported. UCLA was just more out of left field with with the state championship game behind him and two visit weekends available after having only taken a few officials in the past, you knew the door was open for some type of movement. So UCLA occupies that that first visit slot 
uh, obviously Chip Kelly uh, to tie it back to Oregon and uh, the long-term development of Dorian Thompson Robinson. All of that to me factors in with Dante Moore, uh, a guy who isn't necessarily a, a true dual threat, certainly not in the way DTR has blossomed as a college quarterback, but you understand why that offense would be appealing uh, to somebody that's just doing some due diligence. And that's kind of how I view this Dante Moore to UCLA uh, conversation. Obviously, the city of Los Angeles makes sense. City of Detroit, you know, big city type kid who understands that. Um, you know, I saw a lot of people commenting on the shades Dante was rocking in LA, like, hey man, that looks like a fit, NIL, blah, blah, blah. So you could paint the picture as to why UCLA is a true threat, but I will say that since Oregon moved quickly with its offensive coordinator higher and there's no confirmed plans for Dante this weekend, I do feel like that Oregon is in a very good spot to hold on to him, which is kind of what we've said throughout. I think if a move was going to be made, we might have seen it already relevant to UCLA. He took the official visit. He has now been back up in Michigan for three, four days at this point. You wonder out of respect uh, to Oregon, again, where Dante has always been very clear, you decommit and allow Oregon to chase another quarterback at the end of the recruiting cycle. You don't necessarily flip on national signing day. Not something we see a lot of quarterbacks doing. In fact, you, you see it on the front end well more often. So I think all of the optics one week from signing day still point really positively for the Oregon Ducks. I think if Dante had shown up in East Lansing or Ann Arbor or Columbus, I think then you start to increase the worried levels uh, for, for uh this recruitment because they all have longstanding relationships with Dante as opposed to Chip Kelly and UCLA, where it is much more narrow and new from a communication standpoint. Theoretically, UCLA jumped in right when Kenny Dillingham left Oregon for Arizona State. So it's a short window to build a relationship. And, and Dante is a very calculated kid, a kid, a guy who has been coveted since he was a high school freshman. So I think that it just makes it less likely that he's going to rush to make a snap decision to reverse course after being committed to Oregon for, for the bulk of this year. Is it just that Chip Kelly is a renowned offensive mind who did just develop a guy coming out of high school in DTR who was much more of a project. I mean, way more oh, yeah. of a project as a quarterback than, than Dante Moore is, is, is that probably the, the reason why, why Dante Moore went on this visit? Like, is he just, you know, picking him out of the, the due diligence point of view because he's, you know, got more official visits and he might as well use them and, and whatnot. Like, why do you think it was UCLA? I think the combination of that, certainly, um, the increased profile around the Bruin program after the last year, year and a half, I, I think has a lot to do with it. The stability now that theoretically exists there because of, of the rebound under Chip Kelly, I think all of that factors in. Um, you know, Dante has been very open to new coaching staffs and and folks trying to hit the ground running more so than going to where there has been a lot of stability. So I think UCLA offered kind of a bit of both in that conversation. And look, let's be honest, DTR is moving on. They don't have a quarterback commitment in this class. And in that quarterback room, Dante would be the most talented the moment he arrives in Los Angeles. Uh, so I think all of that factors in to some increased, um, again, linear thinking relevant to UCLA. At Oregon, 
it's not quite the same. I mean, I think we're still awaiting a decision on Bo Nix. I'm sure you've talked about that just about every single day. What does that mean for the transfer portal quarterbacks, DJ Uyangalale, Hudson Carr? Does someone else occupy that spot? And then how would that in turn affect Dante more? Again, Dante, very calculated, but also very aware. If we're talking about it and, and there's buzz about a transfer quarterback coming into Oregon, potentially delaying Dante's you know emergence, potential emergence at UO, he's aware of it. Uh, so I think, again, all of this goes into the due diligence department. My, my coordinator left. There's still uncertainty on that position relevant to experienced quarterbacks that have already been there and done it at the collegiate level, which I obviously have not if I'm Dante. All of that, to me, factors into why you explore a couple other options just in case you don't feel quite as comfortable. But again, Lanning, Stein, everyone has been up to Detroit, and now there's an open visit weekend, and, and there's no confirmed plans at this point. So obviously you, you hope from an Oregon perspective he makes it back out to Eugene just in time for National Signing Day and gets even more intimate time with his, his future coaching staff. But I think even if he doesn't make that trip, as long as he doesn't trip elsewhere, I think you feel really good about the potential to sign Dante come Wednesday the 21st. There's another piece of news that should be encouraging on the Dante Moore front, which we will get to, but a less encouraging piece of news are people not driving sober. Let's say you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks, just having fun, and a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride, but you think, nah, you live nearby, you can make it home, it's okay, it's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? Even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, lose your license, lose your job, total your car, kill someone, gotta be aware of the risks of drunk driving, everybody. And I trust all of you Duck fans out there because I know you all pretty darn well. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk, but the results are tra tragic and often deadly, and people unfortunately do it anyway. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe, and plan ahead to get a ride. Uber is really, really easy to use. I mean, like, really easy to use in the grand scheme of things doesn't cost you a consequential amount of money. As long as you're not going, you know, five, six hours or so, in which case you should have other plans anyway. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. So, John, Washington recently had their quarterback commit flip late in the recruiting cycle here, Lincoln Keenholz now going to Ohio State. You told me that that's probably good news for Oregon, not just because it's a jab at Washington, of course, but more importantly, <laughs> because of what it could mean for Dante Moore. Yeah, look, I, I think there's always been this Ohio State curiosity with Dante. His family has roots in the state. He grew up following the Buckeyes most uh, closely. Uh, Braxton Miller's his favorite college player ever. Uh, you understood if there was an opening and communication could pick up because, of course, Ohio State recruited Dante like crazy over the last few years. That could be interesting. So from the moment Ohio State lost the commitment of Brock Glenn, you just wondered, especially when Dillingham left Oregon, do they double down and go back on Dante Moore? And there was briefly I got a couple texts about this. There was briefly a hint that, hey, Maybe Ohio State's going to try to bring him in the final weekend of the cycle. Because, look, we know Ohio State isn't going to go a cycle without grabbing a quarterback. It's just 
something that Ryan Day doesn't believe in. Uh, so even after losing Brock Glenn to Florida State, you knew Ohio State was going to grab one. Um, and shortly after losing Brock Glenn, they hosted and offered Lincoln Keenholz, the Washington quarterback commitment from South Dakota. Uh, he took the visit. He loved it. And then on uh, Wednesday morning, announced his decommitment from Washington, which alerted the entire recruiting industry that he was going to jump on board with Ohio State. And who could blame him? Obviously, a quarterback tradition there at the collegiate level, extremely strong, and he is uh, a great fit. He's a dual threat, legitimate dual threat. So he's a bit of a different prospect athletically compared to Dante Moore, uh, who really fits what Ohio State wants to do. And then conversely, now, if you go down the list, do you say, okay, does Washington now try to get involved with a Dante Moore? That doesn't appear to be the case, which is another sigh of relief for your audience. They have already offered Sam Levitt, the Wazoo quarterback commitment, who visited mm. Michigan State to bring it back to Dante this past weekend. So if you go by the visits, Ohio State moved from Brock Glenn to Lincoln Keenholds. Michigan State dropped their quarterback, went all in on Dante, but have since hosted and offered another quarterback in Sam Levitt, who is committed to Washington State, who has now been offered by Washington after the loss of Keenholz. Put all that together, the Zach Galifianakis gift from the hangover on top of it, and you get recruiting the quarterback <laughs> position in, in the 2023 cycle. So Oregon looks like it's avoided a couple of interesting and, and maybe worrisome scenarios surrounding Dante. Uh, no disrespect to Chip Kelly and UCLA, but if Ohio State was the school hosting him with a need at the position, given the ties that he has and longstanding relationship he has with Ryan Day, then it would really be, uh-oh, fill in the blank, watch, here we go, let's see what happens down the stretch. That doesn't appear to be happening anymore, so I feel really good, again, about Oregon's chances to hold off UCLA and others for Dante Moore as, as things currently stand. I, I followed that perfectly. I don't know about everybody else, but I was just, you know, playing out, out with a little virtual chessboard for those of you yes. listening, moving my hands around. I think it was knight to e6 and then pawn to a7 and uh, so on and so on. Uh, let's uh, pivot off Dante Moore because there's more than just one recruit, though he is, of course, the uh, most notable one in the 2023 cycle for the Ducks. But a name that just it just keeps popping up, John. It just it goes away, and then all of a sudden it comes up again because Oregon keeps getting him on campus. It's that five-star defensive tackle, David Hicks, who's committed to Texas A&M. They still appear to be the leader in the clubhouse, but they also are a program that is not trending the most upward either on the recruiting trail or with their on-field results right now. I keep seeing him get tied to Oregon. He was on campus again not long ago. What's going on with David Hicks? Look, David Hicks loves Eugene. He, he loves Oregon. He loves Dan Lanning. He loves Tosh Lupoy. He loves this group that has long recruited him, um, even before the A&M commitment. That was a big official visit in the recruitment of David Hicks. And you kind of thought at the time, especially once he committed to A&M, Okay, that's kind of it, especially from the Oregon perspective. It's the school most outside the box of any that is still recruiting David Hicks. Well, then he takes one visit to Eugene. You're like, okay, well, maybe they're back in the mix. AM is down, disappointing year on the field. Recruiting is not nearly as successful as it was the last several years under Jimbo Fisher. Maybe the door is cracked open. Um, and then a couple more weeks go by, and another trip to Eugene goes down this past weekend. And now you're like, okay. 
is Oregon the top threat to flip David Hicks? Because if you remember, going back to the summer, there was a big Oklahoma expectation for yeah. David Hicks going into that verbal commitment. You could even say Oklahoma was the perceived favorite. So when he picked AM, it was a bit of an upset. By the way, one of my favorite commitment edit videos of all time, he used like old um, arcade graphics. I don't know mm. who did it for him, but that person deserves a raise from whoever is, is paying them. <laughs> really cool commitment if, if you want to go back and look at it. It was like a duck hunt kind of thing, which I was like, oh, maybe Oregon. Anyway, so he picked AM over Oklahoma, which was viewed as an upset. But again, nationally, it was viewed as this thing is done. Well, he has since visited three schools, AM, of course, Oregon twice, and Oklahoma as well. So these same three schools are very much back in the race for David Hicks. That said, AM is going to get the last visit, and it will be an official visit this weekend. Um, there is certainly uh, a lack of ease in college stations surrounding Hicks. I think you could argue that Oregon is the top threat to flip him, which is not something we've said really at any point in this recruitment. So there is a sense that AM has to answer every question and, and, and kind of hit it out of the park with him on campus this weekend to ensure that Hicks signs with Texas A&M. So there's always a lot of ins and outs and fluidity in recruiting. And Hicks is one of the best examples nationally of just how quickly things can change. Again, everyone thought Oklahoma, he picks A&M, then he continues visiting Oklahoma and Oregon. Now Oregon has theoretically vaulted Oklahoma at the 11th hour and A&M gets the final visit. So a lot of dominoes there, uh, but the ball will be in, in Jimbo Fisher's court uh, over the weekend and then signing days on Wednesday. So we'll see uh, just how well structured and, and how well executed that final official visit to College Station is because there is no doubt Oregon has his absolute attention. And, and, and I know Texas A&M knows that at this point too. National signing day in the early window is right around the corner, John. And Oregon's going after a couple of five-star defensive linemen. The Samuel and Pemba chatter seems to have basically uh, puttered out entirely. But Hicks, as we just talked about, is in the mix. So's Mateo Uyunglele. When are those guys expected to to commit? And, and just a, a quick update, if you could, on on where the Ducks stand with Mateo, because what what I've been hearing and seeing is that he's starting to trend more towards USC. There's been a lot of different trends with the Uyangalele recruitment. Um, I do think his brother entering the portal is a major factor. Uh, this is something that probably benefits Oregon more than the other two schools in the mix, Ohio State and USC, because there is more uncertainty at the quarterback position at Oregon relevant to those other schools or compared to those other schools. Um, Ohio State's got a loaded room that's going to figure it out after the C.J. Stroud era ends in a couple weeks, and then obviously Caleb Williams is coming back for USC. So there's really no chatter about Uyangalale, DJ Uyangalale ending up at USC. So how big of a package deal is this? Is this something that is going to happen or just something that would be kind of nice? So if that becomes more of a priority, I think Oregon becomes the favorite, right? Depending on Bo Nix's decision, of course, all of that correlates to Dante and DJ all the same, and it could eventually correlate to Mateo. Um, I've heard up and down buzz with Oregon about a month ago. I heard ah, they're kind of fading back a little bit. And then since that point, I've heard, well, maybe they're kind of jumping back into it. it pretty much aligned with DJ hitting the portal. And then conversely, Ohio State has probably held the strongest buzz throughout 
the Mateo Uyangalele recruitment, that has started to wane a little bit, and it has become, again, across my inbox, a little bit more Pac-12 laden, which is something we've always talked about. This could come down to USC versus Oregon uh, down the stretch. Obviously, USC, local school, um, all the music stuff that points to the Trojan angle there. But again, Big Brother, probably not a part of that equation. So there's, to me, a 50-50 chance that the brothers play together or against each other next season, which would be fascinating on on either front. And to me, uh, that means Ohio State has maybe lost the most ground here uh, over the last month or two compared to the two Pac-12 options because we've heard fluctuating news from Oregon and USC's side of the coin. Uh, USC's been really quiet on the trail lately too, so uh, I'm very uh, tuned into that because that's not something you would expect coming off of you know a Pac-12 title game run, a Heisman Trophy winning season uh, where all the stability and questions about Lincoln Riley at USC have since been answered. I expected them to splash a lot more down the stretch. You can certainly still do that if you win the Mateo Uyangalale recruitment, but haven't seen it elsewhere to this point, which uh, kind of makes me think Oregon's got a better shot than people realize. Yeah, I, I would imagine that it just sounds really fun to go try and sack your brother. And yes, I'm doing it in the battle for L.A. because DJ's been tied to UCLA. That would be fun, I bet. And if I wanted to bet that specifically, I don't know if they've got that at Bet Online, but they've got everything else that you need. Your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur professional. That was a good pronunciation there. An amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and the World Cup. We've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. John, I want to talk to you about the transfers that Oregon has recently brought in. Two so far. Uh, They also signed a a punter. We don't need to get into that specifically. I'll talk about that more on on tomorrow's show and why that could end up being important. But a couple players at at key positions, a linebacker, Justin Jacobs from Iowa, wide receiver, Treshawn Holden from Alabama. I look at those two guys, I look at Oregon's roster and say, yeah, kind of seems like those are going to be day one starters, especially Holden, but I, I think Jacobs fits that mold as well. You know each of these guys pretty well. You've covered them for, for a long time. Let's start with Jacobs on the more pressing side of uh, in need of improvement for Oregon, and that's defense. What can he bring to the table if he's able to stay healthy, which unfortunately he wasn't able to this year at Iowa? Yeah, that's certainly, you know, area one to to dig into there. Hopefully he's rounding in shape and, and he'll be good to go uh, up up at Oregon this spring. But on the field, there's a lot to like uh, about Jensen. Uh, he is a very modern linebacker, but he's got a classic build. He's 6'4", 240. He's a big physical He's prospect. tall. It seems very tall for a linebacker. Right, but he's got almost this hybrid safety type of game, which is really fascinating. Very comfortable in coverage uh he backed up dane belton while he was at iowa dane belton's like a star rookie for the new york giants this year as a hybrid safety type so i was got this cash position that is is a true hybrid where you're working downhill against the run but you're also very much involved in in the coverage plan so that versatility and athleticism and length as you mentioned with with how tall he is six four six five 
will absolutely help any defense that that he joins. Uh, I think it could help um, close the gap uh, just in between transitioning from one group to the next. Obviously, a lot of linebacker turnover uh, at Oregon, and that's just that's easy to see for me from afar, right? With flow in the portal, I guess Sewell. We're still waiting to see what what that looks like. You need some versatility and athleticism at that spot anyway. Uh, so I do think that he's a strong fit. Um, and sometimes these guys, especially after an injury, just need a breath of fresh air. A new aggressive scheme on top of it I think always helps. So I expect him to be a really fun bounce back, comeback player of the year uh, type of, of addition to the Ducks uh, here last minute. And, and then with Holden, just a lot of consistency. Um, not the flashiest, not the biggest, not the fastest. But he's he's got a, a great catch radius at six two six three. He's built well at at just over two hundred pounds. Uh, he can work inside or outside. He blocks well. He's just going to be the steady force. You, you've got plenty of of guys with the downfield juice, like your Troy Franklins of the world. But you need the third and six, catch it in traffic in front of the safety behind the linebacker kind of guy. And I think Trayshawn Holden brings a lot of that, and and he gets to go back to the West Coast. You know, he came up in in the Los Angeles area playing uh, seven on seven ball with Bryce Young. So now he gets to go back to the West Coast and and really try to showcase his own ability here uh, before he has an opportunity maybe to play on Sundays. And I think this offense, uh, I mean, I know this offense has shown a true explosiveness that uh, a lot of schools haven't been able to. So I think that'll be a nice counter. To, to the conventional that Oregon has been able to put on the field, um, and he'll stabilize that receiver room uh, pretty much immediately. I, I think he fits pretty nicely into what Chase Cota was this year, a guy who lined up Very inside good, yeah. and outside. They took a couple downfield shots, but a lot of what Chase Cota did was third and six. We're going to give you an option route in that five-wide look that Dillingham would roll out and say, go beat a, a safety or a nickel or maybe even a linebacker one-on-one and just go find that sort of opening. But w- one other guy that played a lot this season for the Ducks was Dante Thornton. He, of course, is leaving the program or the program, sorry, via the, the transfer portal. He was a big play sort of guy. Like he yes. came in when Coda was not there, but Thornton was more downfield and Coda was a little bit more, you know, around the first down, right? Just like, get me a first down run a route that's, you know, 7 to 15 yards down the field. Do you think Holden is capable of doing a little bit of both, or do you think he has a strength uh, that that caters more heavily towards playing like one of those receivers than the other? Yeah, I think the Coda uh, comp is, is good to bring up here because there's a polish to Holden's game uh, as a route runner, uh, very comfortable against the pressure at the line of scrimmage and at the catch point simultaneously. So he's an in-the-margins kind of guy. Uh, he's going to win those option routes. He's smart. He's experienced, which is really important when you're bringing in transfer portal players. And, and let's remember, you know, with this new offense or tweaked offense under Stein, this is it's very receiver-friendly. So you could understand why receivers are going to want to come play for Oregon, maybe even more so. Uh, than they did for for Kenny Dillingham. This is a, a receivers coach who's turned OC, which is not something we we always see in the college football lexicon. So I think that's another reason why Holden made this move because there's going to be an element of both priority and ball distribution that will allow multiple receivers to truly thrive. But I think at the core of of this role that Holden will occupy, I think it's going to be 
showcasing the polish and, and being that steady ship uh, and, and not being the flashy guy uh, over the top. Uh, although you'll, you will get some of that on occasion, up the seam, wheel routes, double moves, things like that, that Holden has already shown uh, to be successful with. And that's exactly what Chase Cota was this year. He was just steady. I can't remember a single ball that he dropped. I thought his blocking kind of came and went. And I think Holden is a little bit more built for that. You know, he's, yeah. he's bigger than than Cota. He's he's a little bit taller. He's a little bit. He looks like John if he were to, you know, decide to put on twenty pounds. Like he could play tight end. Does it like he like he is really really thick. In, in his upper body, and, and I think he presents a, a lot of upside for the Ducks. And uh, the, the notes you had on Jacobs I find fascinating because I saw his body type, and I hadn't you know been able to find too much film because he hasn't played a, a ton in college right. to this point, 6'4", 250. I thought linebacker potentially an edge player as well. Like, is, I mean, is he that can a do guy? it physically. So, he can, so he's a guy – he's like – Isaiah Simmons light, essentially he can go, he could play at all three levels of the defense. Yes. He's got some Sunday juice to him. He just needs more tape. If if he came out in the draft this year, he would get a sniff, even though he has so much or or so little experience. I think he's that athletically gifted, but now if he can put it all together on tape with a a school like Oregon, he's going to elevate that profile in in a pretty big way. And I think that's part of the reason why he he made this move, but yeah, he could conceivably line up on the line of scrimmage at the second level and borderline third level on on three consecutive plays. He is that athletic and aware. I mean, he's got a polish to him as well. We just, again, didn't get to see it on full display the year he was supposed to take that next step because that was was this season. Yeah. Yeah. Iowa had high hopes for him this year. We've got high hopes on the recruiting trail here amongst us as duck fans, which is why we'll keep bringing on our locked on recruiting insider here at the network, John Garcia, Jr. Always great to talk to you, man. Likewise, Spencer. Thanks for having me. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always go ducks.